Did you miss me? <laughs> it's been three months since the last Richard Bay talk. That was September 4th. And so much has happened. So much has happened in the world. The Republicans finally have a new leader in the House. George Santos is preparing for Dancing with the Stars. His next big gig, of course, uh, what happened uh, with the Hamas attack on October 7th and Israel's reaction to it and the protests all around the world. But a lot has happened with me, too. I mean, I went to uh, New York twice, and I went to the United Kingdom and traveled around quite a bit. Did you miss me, Albert? Did you miss me? I'd like to say I did, but I really, you know, <laughs> we texted, so uh, All I, right. I haven't seen you personally in, in more than three months. I know. We have to, we have, to have one of our hash Let's uh, go. Uh, lunches together, Whenever brunches. You- Okay. Well, anyway, um, I, I know one of the most boring things is when somebody comes up and says, hey, I took this great vacation. Look at my slides. <laughs> Look at my pictures. So I don't want to bore you with all of that. So I'm going to just restrict myself to three pictures, although I have about 300. All right. I went to Liverpool. Here's my cup that I bought. Liverpool. And they have a big beetle statue. It's a beautiful uh, a little bit more than life-size statue that looks out over the Mersey River. And um, here's a picture of John Lennon in front of the house where he grew up. That's Mimi's house. His mother was killed in a car accident, and he grew up in his aunt's house. It is now a part of the National Trust. You can take a tour and go inside. I had the most fabulous Beatles tour when I was in Liverpool. And this is me trying to recreate... Uh, John Lennon's <laughs> position. You can see that little blue dot on the on the on the building. That means it's part of the National Trust now, meaning the government uh, has taken it over. They have tours. It, it was just incredible. Now I have so many pictures. I was at Penny Lane. I was at uh, Eleanor Rigby's grave. I was actually in the auditorium where Paul met John for the first time. In London, I saw two plays that I will never, ever forget. They were just magnificent. And I had a friend who I met in Florida who lived in a place called Hereford, which is out in the country. All they have are sheep and cows running around. And this was the view from my bedroom window. Take a look at this. Can you believe this? It looks like either heaven or... I mean, one of the hobbits should be popping up and running around. It was just so incredible. I stayed there for two and a half days. All right, enough of uh, my vacations. And uh, let's get back to uh, politics, I guess. Uh, I was back in Florida. For, and, oh, one more thing. I got very sick my very last day on the way to the airport, and I'm just getting over this crud. I don't know whether it's RSV. It certainly wasn't um, uh, COVID. Uh, it, there's a pneumonia going around. Who knows? But for two weeks, I had this hacking cough. This is one of the first days where I appear to be over it. Uh, but who knows? We'll see if I cough. All right, so I'm back in Florida, and I go jump in the swimming pool, even though I have this cough, and there's this woman who jumps in beside me, and I think I said on a previous uh, uh, podcast that I had this conversation with four women who were convinced that Michelle Obama 
was a transsexual. This was one of those women. And she came up and she said, I remember you. She goes, you're such a good swimmer, you know, which I am. I'm a pr I do everything in the pool, every stroke you can imagine. So she said, oh, could you teach me something? And then she said, you're a Democrat, aren't you? And I said, well, I am today, although I voted independent and Republican in the past. I mean, right now, there's no other way for me to vote but Democratic. She goes, you got to be kidding me. You're going to vote for Joe Biden? I can't believe you. Oh, he's done nothing. I said, he's done a lot. She said, name five things that he has done. So I said, well, the CHIPS Act, for one, we're bringing microchip production back to America. The micro, uh, Micron is building a billion-dollar factory in upstate New York. It's not like Trump's photo ops with the shovel or going to Carrier where nothing really happened or the China trade deal where they reneged on half of the deal that he made with them. There was the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, a, a little over a year ago, inflation was 9.3%. It's now down to 3.4%. Um, and the Inflation Reduction Act was, was his work. The Infrastructure Act. We had all these bridges falling down. We had roads that were in need of repair. The Infrastructure Act was, uh, was something that Joe Biden cheered on and initiated. He united all of NATO in support of Ukraine after Putin's invasion. He was a world leader. He brought down the price of insulin for seniors to $35, and he would have done it for everybody if the Republicans had not gotten in the way. So those were five things. I think I went on three more things. And she, she didn't react. She didn't say, oh, you're right. Uh, boy, did she ask the wrong guy, the wrong question. All right, also in this period of time, Henry Kissinger died. Um, now, I met Henry Kissinger. Well, I didn't meet him. I was, I never interviewed him, but I was in the same room with him twice. The first was the funeral for Bill Paley, who was the head of CBS when he died uh, do we have that picture of Bill Paley's funeral? There we go. This was 1990. And I, my first job on television was at CBS. Um, so in some respects, Bill Paley had built what they called the Tiffany uh, Network. But in real life, he was something of a real bastard, this guy. So they had the memorial service at Temple Emanuel on Fifth Avenue. And I said, I'm going to go there. And I'm going to speak to God and tell them the truth about Bill Paley. So I went there, and they had a bunch of people. I, Dan Rather was there. Ed Bradley was there. I saw them. And Henry Kissinger was there uh, to deliver an enconium to Bill Paley. And this is what he said. I was aghast. I knew Bill Paley very well. Um, like myself, he had to travel the world. And he always traveled with his faithful manservant, Oscar. And wherever he went, Oscar, in the morning, would bring him his favorite breakfast, white fish on a bagel. One time, they were in Egypt, and Oscar said, where am I going to find white fish on a bagel in Egypt? But he did. 
and he delivered it to Mr. Paley for breakfast. Bill, wherever you are now in heaven, I hope Oscar is bringing you a plate of whitefish on a bagel. And the audience laughed. They laughed like this was, uh, you know, something uh, that was just wonderful. I, in my mind, I was going, what, are we living in Egypt where the slaves got entombed in the pyramids with their, you know, uh, with the pharaohs? But that gives you a sense of the entitlement that uh, people like Kissinger and Bill Paley um, d- thought they deserved. Um, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divert for a minute. This, this is somebody that you'll remember if you're my age, Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense during um, the Vietnam War. Uh, do you know in the Vietnam War, we dropped 7.5 million tons of bombs on Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. That was double the amount dropped in Europe and Asia. Europe, both theaters, Pacific and European. More than we dropped in those theaters during World War II, pound for pound, it's the most heavily bombarded from the air in human history. And this is uh, Robert McNamara there. So there had been this story that he was on the Woods Hole Ferry going from Massachusetts to uh, Martha's Vineyard when a bearded man came up to him and said, Mr. McNamara, there's a phone call for you. Please follow me. And McNamara followed this guy, and he took him over to a secluded area of the ferry and then lifted him up and tried to throw him overboard. McNamara clutched the railing. His glasses went flying, and he started screaming. People ran down, and they saved him from being thrown into the icy waters off of Cape Cod. Um, Now, it turns out that the guy who did this uh, had two brothers who were in Vietnam, was incensed that McNamara had said when he drops, he said said that uh, we learned in World War II that the bombs don't always drop where you want them to. McNamara didn't press charges. The guy, as far as I know, has still been uh, not identified. But I thought, if I ever see Henry Kissinger, I'm going to get in his face and say, how many people, how many people's deaths are you responsible for? How many innocent people, how many civilians did you kill in your work with the Nixon White House? And it's not just Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. It was stuff that happened in other parts of the world as well. I won't get into it. So one day, I'm co-hosting a show, filling in with Steve Malsberg on Fox News Radio. And we come out of the Fox Studios, and this black limousine pulls up. And out steps Henry Kissinger. And I thought... I always said I was going to do this. I'm going to go up, and I, I'm i not going <laughs> to throw, throw him into Sixth Avenue and hope he gets run over, but I'm going to go in his face and tell him that he is responsible for all these deaths. 
And I looked at him. Here's a picture of him, what he, sort of what he looked like. He had a cane. He was hunched over even more than this. And he had this big King Farouk belly that fell down. Now, my father had the same kind of belly. My father had stenosis. So he walked with a cane hunched over. And he walked as slowly as Henry Kissinger. And Steve Malsberg goes, you're not going to say something to him, are you? And I said, no. And Henry Kissinger looked over at me and went, just nodded his head. All right, so I didn't do it. Now, of course, there are bombs being dropped now in another part of the world. Uh, before I get into that, my, my uncle Eddie, who passed away a few years ago, he dropped out of high school at 17, ran off to the U.S. Army Air Corps, and got a permission slip because he was 17 and ran back and had his mother sign it. And he signed up at the age of 17. And I was at dinner with him one night where one of his friends was talking about how he flew 12 bombing missions over, over Europe during World War II. And I said, after that, I said to my uncle, boy, wasn't that incredible? My uncle never wanted to talk about the war. But he said to me then, that's nothing, I flew 50. And I said, I thought it was 25 and you're out. And he goes, yeah, that's what they told us. So later, uh, at a later time, he told me, I used to sit in that plane and I'd look out the window and I'd see those bombs dropping down. And sometimes I'd see the explosions. And he goes, he said, I often wondered What's happening to the people down there? What are they having to deal with now? So, what's the point of this? The point is that there's a big difference between dropping bombs from an airplane in a war, trying to destroy an enemy that wants to destroy you, and walking up and shooting a poor defenseless child or a woman in the head. There's a big difference between kidnapping them, and if the stories are true, raping them, and keeping them as hostages. Now, in war... Even though I, I, you know, I mentioned that thing about Vietnam, you know, there's never been a war where bombardment won the war, caused the other side to surrender. Uh, you know, uh, Hitler tried it with the V1, V2 rockets, bombing, um, bombing London and other areas of England. But what did it do? It inspired the song London Pride. We bombed, we bombed uh, 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 Germany. They didn't surrender. Just like Hamas, Hitler, and uh, uh, Goebbels, and Bormann, and the other Nazis, they were safe in their bunker, just like Hamas is in their tunnels safe. 
The last video we have of Hitler is him with a shaking hand pinning medals to the chests of teenagers that they were sending out. There were 15, 14-year-old kids. The Russians were coming into Berlin. They didn't surrender. And for that matter, the Japanese didn't surrender. There's only one bomb drop that ended a war. And you know what that was. You know, we firebombed Tokyo. There were, what, 130,000, 150,000 people killed in Tokyo from conventional bombing. They didn't surrender. Vietnam, they didn't surrender. Even though we dropped more munitions on them um, than, uh, than we did in World War II. Um, so... You know, if Hamas cared about its people, you know, what Israel should do, you know, they have these videos of what happened on October 7th. And in so many of these videos, you can, these guys, some of them were covered up with masks, it's true, but some of them were full face. I mean, Israel should put the posters up of these men and say they are wanted for murder and say, turn over these men. And if Hamas really cared about civilian deaths, why don't they just surrender? Because they're like Hitler. They're like Japan after the firebombing. They were teaching children how to use pitchforks to kill Americans if they ever landed on Kyosho. They don't care. They could end this tomorrow. By surrendering. But, you know, when you're up against a fanatical foe, that ain't going to happen. So, this was something that was so odd. You know, uh, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, they produced Band of Brothers, which was an incredible series uh, for Netflix. And then they did The Pacific, uh, about the war in the Pacific theater, which was less incredible, but was was really good. And now they have one called Masters of the Air that's coming in January. And it's about American bombers uh, and flying over uh, uh, Europe, dropping the bombs on Germany. Well, when I, I, the trailer came out and they had a link to the trailer. When I went to the trailer, I saw this at the top and I clicked on it. Can we see that uh, IDF footage, please? So I thought, what are they doing? They have black and white footage from the planes that blew up uh, that blew up uh, Berlin and Dresden. This was at the very top where the uh, the trailer for this new series was, and I didn't realize until about halfway in that you could hear the pilots speaking, and they were speaking Hebrew. That's, uh, it's not the IDF, what do they call them, Is Israeli Air Defense Force, IADF. That's their own footage after they dropped bombs. Now, I don't know whether it was somebody, you know, supporting Israel who put this at the top to try to, to, try to draw the correlation between that and what 
American heroes did during World War II. I mean, my uncle was a, he flew into the, he flew up from Libya into the Pulaski oil fields. 125 planes took off, 35 of them never returned. I mean, the, the loss of U.S. bombers in World War II, you, you just can't conceive of it. But anyway, here is the trailer for Masters of the Air. And um, this series is starting in January. Take a look at this. When you look at it, you don't pay attention to what's really going on. It's kind of beautiful. We came from every corner of the country with a common purpose. Go, 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 go! To bring the war to Hitler's doorstep. Well, there's one short clip in there of uh, what happened to Berlin. But... Um, you know, you've seen the pictures. I'll just show this one again. You know, Berlin was in rubble. Can we see that next shot? I mean, if you didn't know this and it was in color, you'd think it was uh, Gaza, right? And to add insult to this injury, afterwards, we made German women clean up the rubble. Can we see that next picture? They had to form chains and pass, uh, pass the rubble down from one to the other. They had to clean it up. Do you know how many civilians were killed by our bombing in World War II to defeat an enemy that was fanatical? What do you think, Albert? How many civilians do you think were killed? through uh, U.S. and uh, Allied bombing. What do you think? I have no idea. Well, you know, I can't take a guess, no? Uh, yeah, we have no idea. You so know what? I have no idea. I, I, I have no idea. I, I would not even know where to gather the information to figure that out. Well, I looked it up. And, you know, you know, I think most of us know how many people died at Nagasaki, how many people died at Hiroshima. And we may, if we've delved a little deeper, we know how many people died uh, in the Japanese firebombing. 500,000 civilians were killed. These were women and children and men who were, you know, not in the service. 500,000 were killed in the U.S. bombing. Now, to be fair, in the beginning, U.S. bombers only flew in daylight because they wanted to have a, a precision drop over military sites. But Bomber Harris, who was the RAF um, uh, chief, he flew day, he flew night, he wanted to bomb them. The whole idea was we're going we're gonna to destroy their morale, which of course they didn't do, as I, as I just expounded. Um, and when they started uh, bombing at night and just bombing and bombing, the U.S. followed suit. But in the beginning, we tried to just restrict our bombing to military targets. But um, listen, if you're going to get rid of Hamas, 
I mean, and that is your goal. Yes, the Israeli uh, Air Force should take consideration for civilian hostages. Yes, we should have trucks coming in to support them. But man, when you're in a war against a ruthless and fanatical enemy, civilians are going to be killed. You wanted to stop some of those 500,000 killed? I mean, listen, that war was over for Hitler uh, right after D-Day. It was over. The war for Japan was over after, the, after Hiroshima. They still didn't surrender. They waited. And even after Nagasaki, the military didn't want to surrender. Hamas, believe me, when I say Hamas should surrender if they want to save uh, you know, thousands of lives, that ain't going to happen either. But when you have this, are, are the men who flew the bombing missions in that Masters of the Air are they heroes or villains? It's not so clear-cut. All right, now to get back to uh, political warfare here at home. I mean, some of the things that are going on now are just crazy. All right, so the Republicans did select a leader in the House, a, 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 a Christian nationalist nutcase named Mike Johnson, and he's pushing forward with the impeachment of Joe Biden. This is what he had to say. I'm a lawyer, I'm a constitutional law attorney. I served on President Trump's impeachment defense team twice. And we lamented openly and we decried how the Democrats politicized that process. They were brazenly political and how they, they brought those uh, meritless impeachment charges against the, the president. This, what you're seeing here, is exactly the opposite. We are the rule of law team. The Republican Party stands for the rule of law. And the people in charge of this are doing this thoroughly, carefully, methodically. They're investigating and gathering all the facts. And to do this appropriately and to do it in a manner that upholds our constitutional responsibility requires time. It, it requires a sound process. You don't rush something like this. You can't. It are you freaking kidding me? That should come with a, a laugh track. I mean, to this date, there is not one shred of evidence that connects Joe Biden to something illegal or to anything that Hunter Biden was involved in. Nothing, nada, zero, nothing. And the Trump impeachments were only political? In one instance, we had the telephone call. We had a recording of it. We had a recording of him trying to use... Um, congressional allocated funds for weaponry to use the distribution of that to Ukraine so they would dig up stuff on his opponent. It would, The evidence was right there. In the second instance, on January, uh, January 7th, the day after the attack on the Capitol, we had Lindsey Graham going, I've had enough, this is it, it's over. We had um, McCarthy saying the same thing. We had scores of Republicans that were criticizing Trump's involvement of what happened on that day when there was an attempt 
at a coup to overthrow a free and fair election. So this guy, he's a, he's a Christian. He's lying through his teeth. It's so, such a lie that it's ridiculous. But of course, lies are what are the best political capital today. If you don't think so, you've got to watch something like Fox News where um where they where Trump has now turned it around this is the i this is the i know i am but uh but what are you kind of defense he's calling biden the destroyer the destroyer of american democracy and of course the bobbleheads at fox news are just nodding up and down in agreement. Take a look at this. Clip of Donald Trump talking about Joe Biden being really the destroyer of democracy. Listen. Since crooked Joe Biden got in, he has been weaponizing government against his political opponents like a third world communist tyrant, really no different. But crooked Joe Biden's banana republic ends on November 5th, 2024. It's a banana republic. Biden and his radical left allies like to pose as defenders of democracy. But Joe Biden is not the defender of American democracy. Joe Biden is the destroyer of American democracy. And it's it's him and his people. They're the wreckers of the American dream. The American dream is dead with them in office. It's uh, sad. Over the past few years, you've watched Biden and his band of Marxist, communist, fascists try to crush free speech, censor their critics, criminalize dissent. But as the Democrats have sort of removed the mask of who they are, and we've seen it on display um, in many ways, especially over the last couple months um, through these protests, I love that he is just naming it out, calling them communists and fascists. Let's just have a really blunt, honest conversation about what are the choices in this election. I like the phrase, the destroyers of democracy. Yeah, let's have a blunt and honest conversation over whether Democrats are Marxists, um, uh, fascists, communists. I mean, listen to the, people are listening to these nitwits. It's like the woman in the pool. Tell me five things Biden has done. Well, if you read a frickin' newspaper, maybe you'd know. But they don't. They tune into this garbage. All right. This campaign, there's been so much childish name-calling. I mean, Nikki Haley called Vivek Ramaswamy uh, uh, a scum. Uh, last week, the... Uh, James Comer, the head of a committee, called a Democrat a smurf. Of course, there's Trump, who's calling people like you and me vermin, now the destroyer of democracy, as well as his nicknames for everybody, Ron Sanctimonious. And I mean, I, there is someone who should enter the debate because he's the best at insulting and giving people nicknames that stick. And if he was on the debate stage, he could debate Trump, actually, <laughs> and kick his butt. You know who that is? It's this guy. Surprised yourself that they let you say and do the things that you do on the air? Yeah, I, I think I should be fired. You think you, you were fired once before? You were at WNBC, right. you said. They had every right to do it. 
Thank you. There go your fans again. Well, I'm sure, right. the, I'm sure the old bags, I'm sure the old fat bags that you have in your audience aren't my fans. They're probably a bunch of old housewives. Oh. Let's talk to some of these old fat bags out here. Well, in the I can't audience. see them anyway. The... I can't see the old fat bags uh, you got you... sitting there. Bunch hey, of pigs. All right. Bunch Anybody of out here heard Howard Stern? Why don't you let a well, real man give it to you? He's only been on man. the air here. What do you think about what you've heard about him so far? I like him. You like oh, him. Thank you. You know why I like him? Because he says the things that people say, oh, it's not nice to say. Oh, you that's know, very nice. Your mother told you, don't say that in front of company. Is that a man or a he, woman he, talking? He's in a, you know, inhibitions. No, he I can't see it. you. I can't see you. What are you, a man or a woman? You can't see. I wish you could see her. Are you I an effeminate man? how lovely this lady is out here. Are you an effeminate man or a woman? That's, that, that, is a, uh, that is a woman speaking. Because it sounds like a heavy smoker. Does she smoke a lot? No, no I don't. Wow, what a voice on you. <laughs> but uh, no, thank you for the nice words. We, we just want people to have fun and uh, whatever. All right. Well, could you imagine him on the debate stage? Um, he would be the, uh, the, you know, the, the toughest person with the personal insults that anyone might have. Now, that was when Howard was on terrestrial radio. Over the years, I've had occasion to meet him when I uh, worked at Sirius. When I was on Channel 9, he had an, uh, an evening show for Saturday nights, and Robin actually shared my dressing room. And every time I've met Howard Stern in real life, he has been gracious, he has been kind. Well, there was one point where I said, you know, Howard, your show is is really getting good. I thought last week's episode, it started off a little rough, but last week's episode was hilarious. You're getting it. And you know what Howard said to me? Thank you, Richard. That means so much coming from you. And he wasn't being sarcastic. So let's hope it's not another three months till we get to the next Richard Bay talk. Thank you so much for joining me on this one. And all my best. Take care.